at somebody and say, it's good to see you. And I look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you're here at our Buellton campus or maybe you are at our Lompoc campus at 213 North J. There are people gathered together uh, and worshiping Jesus uh, with us, one church in a couple locations. But if you need a Bible there as well, you can just slip up your hand here in the room or there, and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take it, you read it every single day, because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, I want you to open your Bible to uh, the book of Colossians. And uh, we've been in this series or started this mini-series to carry us through the holiday season. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the back and turn left and you'll find Colossians much faster. Or you can go two-thirds of the way through. You can find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, John. And then you keep working your way through Acts, Romans, the Epistles, First and Second Corinthians. And then you're going to find a little book that's wedged in between here in uh, Philippians, and I want you to turn to chapter 3, verse 12, and you can say amen when you're there. Some of you are lying, I, I hear pages turning. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, right? And uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Amen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. For the Father, through him, or in other words, let everything you say and do bring glory to God and good to this value. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you help us in all things bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. There's a parable in the Bible that says that there was a man who had two sons. And I want you to remember that this is a story about a man who had two sons. Are you tracking with me? 
There's this story about a man who had two sons. One of the sons came to him and said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. I know that you're still alive, but I like your stuff, and I'd like your stuff to be my stuff. Okay, Dad, give me what is mine. And the father obliges. He gives his share of the inheritance to his son. His son goes out and lives uh, in such a way that he squanders everything that his father gave him. His money lasted for a season, but he didn't know how to handle what was given to him. He didn't earn what he had. It was given over. He had no principles. He He had no guiding light for him. All that was driving him was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, what he wanted right then and right there. It's as if he went to his dad and played a J.G. Wentworth commercial and said, it's my money and I want it. In a minute, I'm going to do that with a Bible verse and see if you can do that. (laughs) And he says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he squanders everything. He finds himself in a pig pen and eating the slop that they're feeding the pigs and it dawns on him one day he goes you know what it wasn't so bad at my father's house you don't say man it wasn't so bad actually I mean I was a son and and I, I, I had prestige and I had all the things of being my father's son but you know what I I started to notice that even the servants at my father's house had it better than I do right now. So he dusted himself off. He changed the way he thought about his father. At once he thought his father wasn't doing him uh, righteously. He wasn't getting what he deserved. And so he asked for more and then he couldn't handle what was given to him. And so he has this moment that the Bible would call repentance. This changing the way I think so that I do something different. He repents about his view of his father. He dusts himself off. He gets up. He makes the long track home. He begins to practice his speech before his father. Dad, I've sinned against you and against God. Man, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that's what I really think. Man, I, I, I don't... I want him to know I'm remorseful. He begins to take the walk back home, reciting over and over the speech that he's going to give his dad. Dad, I've sinned against you and against God. Not even worthy to be called your son. Let me come and be a servant in your house. He gets to the gate of the ranch. The the gate swings open and off in the distance, he sees his father sitting on the front porch. And all of a sudden, he swallows hard, and his heart begins to race. He's beginning to forget the words. How did I start this again? What do I say? And he sees his dad a long way off. Now, you can imagine that kind of scenario, and how many of us would think that old dad would sit there on the porch and go, it's about time, boy. Man, I can't remember. Like, then he gets up from his seat, the rocker, leans up against the post, against the front porch, and go, all right. Let's see what he has to say now. But that's not how the story goes. What it says is that while he was still yet a long way 
off. His dad gets up and he begins to run towards him. I'm sure his son was like, oh, I'm in for it now, right? Like he can't even wait to give me mine, right? And when he gets to uh, his son, his son braces for uh, maybe the punch from old dad, but instead his dad wraps his arms around him, picks him up and embraces him. And he says, my son is home. He goes, no, no, dad, I, I got, I've sinned again. No, 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 no. I'm so glad you're here, but I have a speech prepared. Don't worry about it. Let's throw a party. Man, he, he says, no, get everyone. Kill the fatted calf. Sorry, vegans, that's just how the story goes. And he says, kill the fatted calf. My son is home. He once was dead, and now he's alive. They get everyone together. They put up a large tent. It's as if they've thrown a wedding reception. Everyone is having a great time. There's a buffet. There's an open bar, completely non-alcoholic. And... uh, and everyone is celebrating and dancing and having a beautiful time. But this was a story about a man who had... See, sometimes we stop at the story, believe it or not. We, we stop, and, and what happens is uh, we hear this story, and you've heard this story, and you've told this story, and you think about that one particular son, and this story is referred to as a story called the prodigal. But this isn't a story about a man who had a son. This is a story about a man who had Now imagine a party, imagine a banquet, imagine they are eating filet mignon and then the camera pans out from the movie. All of a sudden the tent becomes small in the view and there off in the distance you see the other son pacing back and forth. I can't believe my dad. I can't believe he would do this. Why would he do this? I mean, I've been here all the time. I've been slaving. I've been helping my brother, my brother. How many of you got a boneheaded brother like this guy? Don't look at him, right? And he's going, man, I can't believe he would do this. Man, he squandered everything. And now he comes home. He doesn't even say anything. I don't even know if he said sorry to my dad. My dad uh, embraces him, gives him a robe and a ring and sl- Lays the fatted calf, and now we're at this party. Inside the tent, the dad is beginning to look for his other son. Because this is a story about a man who had two sons. Beginning to look, where's where's my other boy? Looks around, what why isn't he at the party? Why isn't he excited about his brother being home? He begins to look. He leaves the party. Outside the tent, he goes and looks for the other brother he finds him there resentful he finds him there in his own way in his own mind thinking this is a story about him not a story about the father he says son what's wrong you know what i know my brother couldn't get his speech out but i've been preparing one you you 
you have always been like this. You've always been generous. You've always been slow to anger. You're always the one who's forgiving, but he should get what he deserves. And I've been here slaving. I've been here doing the chores. I've been here doing all the stuff, and you won't so much as give me a goat. Dad's like, what what did you say? A goat? Son, we're eating flame and yawn in that tent over there. I don't know why you're over here complaining about a goat, right? Like, how many of you would be like that? Like, what's on the menu to flame and yawn? I'd rather have goat. No one says that, right? <laughs> Nobody, right? And, and there, there he is. He's going, wait a second, Dad, I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe you would forgive that way. I can't believe you would give him what he doesn't deserve. I can't believe you would be gracious towards him, unmerited towards him, undeserved favor towards my brother. Dad looks at him and says, son, do you realize that you're with me always and everything I have is yours? Should I not celebrate that my son once was dead And now he's alive. And the curtain drops on the movie. The credits come up, and usually this is the point in the movie where my wife goes, what happens after that? I go, I don't know. What happens after that? Right? It's that that moment where Jesus tells this parable with a little Sam Kaiser sauce on it. This is the parable. This is what they would have heard Jesus say. There's a man who had two sons. He tells this story. At the end of the story, the disciples are going, wait, what am I left with? Jesus says, you're left with a decision. Last week, we talked about this passage of Scripture, which says, what shall I liken this generation to? These are the words of Jesus. He's looking around the religious leaders, and he's saying, what shall I compare you people to? What shall I say about this generation? We still do this, right? Like, it's, it's the millennials. Oh, it's the boomers' fault. No, millennials and boomers can agree. It's Gen Z's fault, right? <laughs> Amen? Amen. Right, okay, all right. Uh, 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 yeah, every, every generation we put labels and we, we, we try to, try to uh, kind of categorize what different groups of people are like. Jesus looks around the religious leaders, religious leaders who have rituals that they do, laws that they carry out. They have practices and special people doing special things. And, and he says, what? What shall I compare this generation to? He says, it's like children in the courtyard. And we played the flute for you. We piped a pipe. We played the music, but they refused to dance. It's in this same kind of discourse that Jesus tells this story about these two sons. That there's a generation of people who look at other people. They could be at a party and everyone else is celebrating. And yet for some reason, they're not. You ever been to a party you didn't want to be at? What was Thanksgiving like? Was that okay? You guys okay? Right? Like, like you, you ever been to so where everyone else, and, and, or, or maybe you found that one person, some, some type of view of the host or the guest list. 
some, some type of frustration, even to the point where you're frustrated that everybody else is having such a good time. This happens. This is a part of our sinful nature. When we begin to think the stories about us, we'll begin to look around and go, wait a second, what's that narrative that they are carrying out? What is their part to play? What about me? And we'll think this is a story about us. We'll think this is a story about me. I know social media is lying to generations and making them think that life is a story about them. It is not. Somebody say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. The story is not about me. And here's why that's good news. And I just tell you that this story is not about you. If you're in the story, even, even saying it that way, the story isn't even about the two sons. The story is about the The story, thank you. That's pro, probably Rick Murray over there. Look. <laughs> I know, right? We know you know, Rick. All right. Uh, the, the, the story is about the father. The story is about a man who had two sons. The story is about the view of the father. See, when we make the story about us, Friends, we could never handle the weight and the attention and the affection. That's why people crumble under fame. Like, think about all these, like you think about child stars who are famous from a young age, and usually the normal adage is, I can't believe they're normal. I can't believe if one of them comes out normal at all. You go, well, you can't blame them. They've been in the limelight. They've had attention and counterfeit glory that we call fame since they were young. Why is it that we have almost a, an unhealthy obsession with celebrity? Why do we look at tablet? Why do we want someone who has some type of authority and attention and fame? Why do we want them to sign off on our belief system? Why is it that politicians and authority figures will try to put around them famous people so that they can sign off on whatever they are doing? There's something about fame that the enemy uses. See, it's counterfeit glory. And no one can handle the weight of glory. No one can handle the attention. No one can handle the scrutiny. We will all crumble if everything is laid bare and open. We cannot handle it. Then the passage we read last week, one of those passages we looked at was Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says this, that Jesus... Although God did not hold on to what it meant to be God, but he poured himself out. In the Greek, it's this word kenosis. We keep bringing this up. And, and theologians have argued over this word for generations. But essentially, it's the idea that, that God added humanity to himself. Pastor Tyler said it uh, so well. He said it was actually subtraction by addition. He was limiting himself, one version will say. He put boundaries on what it meant to be God. Think about that. 
It's as if you took the entirety of the ocean and you poured it into a single glass. That's what it means for God to become a man. This is foundational for what we believe as followers of Jesus. If Jesus is not God in the flesh, if he did not carry out man's requirements of what it means to be righteous, die a sinless life, live a sinless life, and die a sinner's death, death on a cross. If he doesn't do that, and he doesn't call his own shot, use a borrowed tomb, and then pull off Easter, 1 Corinthians will say this, that if Christ has not been raised, then everything that you do, everything that you believe is completely vanity. It's vain. It's empty. It's useless. It's lip service. But if indeed Jesus is who he says that he is, and he did what the Bible tells us that he did, and then the evidence all around us points to this reality that Jesus turned the world upside down. Or in other words, he put it back right side up. He fixed everything that was wrong. And because of this, Philippians tells us that God has given Jesus a name which is above every other name. Every celebrity, every politician, every dictator, every tyrant, every king, every monarch, his name is above every other name. And one day, the Bible tells me that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is king above all kings. He's Lord above all lords. He is the only one that you need to sign off on. He's the only one you need to check in with. He's the only one that you need to to make sure that your beliefs and your values and your life align with his. Throw everything else to the wayside because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and that makes him king. That's good news. So God has given him a name which is above every name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of God the Father. He's the only one able to carry that kind of weight and attention. He's the only one able for us to look at him and scrutinize him and he'll pass the test. That's what religious leaders did over and over. They kept picking and prodding and looking go and trying to make sure he was crossing all the t's and dotting all the i's and he passed the test even the roman empire one of the most wicked if not the most wicked government in human history you go pastor sam i don't know about that let, let me remind you that it's the roman government that had a coliseum where you get the kids together and, and we'd have a family outing and we would celebrate death that's what the Romans did. They called it in entertainment. No value of human life. And yet it's in the middle of this regime, it's in the middle of this empire that God at the right time, at the specific time, would choose to come 
and be born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He would go from crib to cross. He came and lived to die. He didn't get himself killed. He, he didn't start a revolt or a revolution. He, he wasn't out to, uh, to speak on the issues of the day concerning their poverty, their oppression. Yet that's what everyone wanted. Everyone wanted him to deal with the poverty of their hand, and yet Christ came to deal with the poverty of their heart. They wanted him to break the back of Caesar, and he came to break the back of Satan and destroy the works of sin, to give us a new life in exchange for his. This is why Christmas is of the utmost importance. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Christmas is a pretty big deal. You notice that? She's like, are we supposed to say that? Yes! Christmas is a big deal. Amen. Yes. Christmas. How many of you love Christmas? We know who didn't raise their hands. <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 man, we should love this celebration. We talked about this last week. There's some debate on how we got the holiday to begin with and wh whether or not it was uh, the, the Romans converting to Christianity, taking a pagan holiday and converting it to point to the person of Jesus. And, and let me tell you, if that's true, then we did a good job. We stole a holiday and gave it to the glory of God. Good job, right? Like, and should we celebrate that? Yes, we should celebrate that. We should take all things, whether in word or deed, all things that we do, and do it to the glory of God and the good of others. And then some people suggest that, no, that this was a way. They had rituals. It was kind of in their tradition to set aside times to, uh, to uh, celebrate, memorialize different uh, types of Events. This is a part of their heritage. And so Christians have this one thing, this resurrection day, the Lord's Day, and they decided that on the first day of the week, on Sunday, the day that Christ raised from the dead, they would set that aside. They would no longer go dormant from Friday to Saturday and observe the Sabbath because they had met the Sabbath. They had touched the Sabbath. They had spoke to the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am the Sabbath. I am rest. I'm what this entire day has been pointing to. And now there's a celebration. Now there's a party. Now there's a big tent and filet mignon and music playing. And the, and the invitation is to you that we once were dead, but now we are alive. Like prodigal sons and daughters, those who've went astray. And the Bible says we all have went astray. We all were that prodigal. We all have lived our own way, and that ended up no way and nothing at all. I like that. That was a better line. No way, Jose. I don't know what you got against Jose, but uh, he did nothing to you. And... Uh, and yet, we've went our own way, and Christ offers us this 
new way. This is the celebration. This is the party. So, so the first day of the week, we would get together as if we were in a big tent. And there's not filet mignon, we'll work on it, all right? And we would come together and we would greet one another with spiritual songs. We would sing. We would play the flute. We would invite you to dance to the rhythms of grace. We would invite you to the party that God has put on. And we would celebrate. We would dance. Yeah, are there those who are outside of the tent? And you might be one of those. You might be one of those who look at other people and their success. You might look at them and look at what they've been forgiven of. How can they be happy? They're forgiven. How can they walk with no shame? Because he bore their shame. How how can they live without regret? Because he exchanged that regret. He gave them new life. That's how. That's what you've been invited to. So the early church would meet on the first day of the week and they would celebrate. And they would make sure that that the music of the kingdom was louder than the noise of the world. They would say things like, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't dance the rhythms that this world. Don't walk to the cadence and patterns of the world outside, which is so easy to do. So easy to be caught up. Ephesians 4 will say this. He'll talk about the church and the unity of the church. He'll say this in Ephesians 4, verse 11. He'll say that he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors. You're welcome. And teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until when? Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What does that mean? Until Jesus comes back and collects his church and we're unified and we see him face to face. So until then, what will we do? We'll equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry means to serve. So let me just define terms here for a minute. If you thought that I was in ministry, you were badly mistaken. You know, aren't you a minister? No, you are. Let's try that again. <laughs> you are in full-time ministry. Ministry means to serve. What is the job of the pastor and the apostles and the work of the prophets and the evangelists to equip the saints? It's all of us. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, the work of service. Until when? Until Jesus comes back. Until we attain the full knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. He goes, here's what you do. You gather together and you equip 
and you serve and together you join arms together so that you're not tossed to and fro you you link together you hold arms as the storm comes as the winds and waves you link arms together and you go no i'm not letting you go and you're not letting me go and we'll stand firm in the faith what he's saying is that everything's preaching a sermon Everyone is bidding for your attention. There are doctrines of demons. There are doctrines telling you what to do with your children. There are doctrines telling you about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Or maybe there's no distinction at all. There are doctrines telling you to do whatever you wish and will, and you tried that. Do whatever feels good, whatever's intuitive, that will make you happy. Just do you. There are doctrines of demons telling you that you are simply the result of random happenstance and chance. And that the only reason you have survived is because you have been fitter than someone else. So you look at others with potential disdain. You're trying to survive You're trying not to look for the interest of others. You're trying to make the story about you because the goal is survival. The goal is to avoid suffering at all costs. The the goal is maybe it will happen to somebody else and not to me. There are doctrines of demons that tell you that you don't have to work hard and that you deserve things. Maybe like the start of the story of the prodigal son. Give me what I deserve, and I'll do with it what I will. And you see the result. And yet, the Bible tells us not to be tossed to and fro by this. But how often do we do it? How often do we scroll our phones? How often do we look at the news? How often do we scroll the bottomless pit that is the interwebs? All the information... And yet we stand there with all of our info, all of our knowledge, and we begin to begin to chant, I've got the whole world in my hands. I've got the whole world. No, no, no. No, you don't. See, that garden conversation we were talking about in Genesis, the knowledge of good and evil, Sometimes I wonder, were we ever meant to bear the weight of the knowledge that we currently have in this generation? Every tragedy, every woe, every worry, not just your own. I mean, think about what Jesus says. He says, don't even worry about tomorrow. You're not even just worried about your tomorrow. You're worried about everyone else's tomorrow. You're like, what are they going to do? What are we going to? I don't know. How do we get out of here? Look up. And so often you think about how controlled we are, how, how anxious we are, how depressed we are. The most prosperous generation that has ever walked the face of the planet. And yet suicide and depression and anxiety and fear. Jesus says, look up. Look to the hills from which your help 
comes from. Don't worry about tomorrow because what could worry add one more day to your life or someone else's life? But remember, this isn't a story about you. But the story God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on. Sometimes we get trapped on the page, don't we? Sometimes in the middle of our story, we can't see. We can't, we can't see until the results come back. We can't see. We can't see out of our page. It's tough. And yet God is praying for you in the middle of your page. He's cheering you on. He knows the end of the story. He knows how he's using your life and my life. And those who have gone before us, Hebrews says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. They were sown, they, they were sawed in half, they were drugged behind chariots, they were beheaded, they were burnt at the stake. The world is not worthy to even know their names, but God has told their story throughout the heavens, declaring the goodness of of our God, even in the middle of the most difficult circumstances. You know, God doesn't understand my situation. Christmas is about God understanding your situation. The Bible says we don't have a great high priest who's ignorant to our suffering, but he took on humanity. He was born a baby. A king. Let me tell you that, that, if, that if I was God, and don't act like you've never thought that for yourself, right? Uh, like, I, if, if I was God, and I, I'm going to come back and change the world, I'm not coming as a baby. You know what babies do? They poop on themselves, right? Swaddling clothes. They had to change those over and over, right? Like, like I'm not coming back as a baby, I'm coming back as Superman, all right? Like, I'm coming back invincible. See, that's the stories we write. Our modern mythology tells us exactly how we would do it. We would come and make it about us. We would be the strongest, the fittest. The story and the glory would go to us. And Jesus chooses this little, no place of a town to be born. They don't even have room for him in the end. He's born in a barn. Man, the worst types of situations, right? All this debate of whether you're going to do a home birth, like, whoa, I don't know, right? Like, you go to the hospital, you go to a birthing center. How about a barn, right? Now, some of you in here, that may have happened for some of you, or Rafufio Beach. I don't know. <laughs> and and yet, yet, this is how God plans it. To show us that he's in the mix. He's in the middle. He's on the page. He's there with us. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. This is the story. It's not come to God. Come all. Get here. Get it right. Pay the price if you don't. Work hard. Pull yourself up. No, 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 no. Listen, friends. The announcement is God is here. That's the announcement. That's the celebration. That God is with us right in the middle of the page. Because the world will pull you aside. Will try to sway you. 
And yet this book begins to tell us how we should conduct ourselves. He goes on to say, don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning and crafty scheme. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the church, not this building, because sometimes we, we lose our definitions, right? The church is a building or a place we go to. But the church is the gathering of a group of people. A gathering of a group of people who once were lost, but now they're found. Once we're dead, but now they're alive. They once were blind, but now they see. It's a gathering of a group of people who were dead in their trespasses and sin, in which they walked and they carried about like the rest of the world. But God changed them, set them apart, gave them a new life and a new rhythm, a new cadence to live to, that the world would look at and go, what is different about you? Last week we were talking about this uh, this passage that says we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. And I talked about a rhythm that people will hear the sound of the church. And then r- that evening after church, our, our worship team uh, played I- in a brewery in Lompoc. And uh, it's awesome. And, and our, our, our team... Tyler and Becca and Asher and Devin, they got invited to play at Cold Coast Brewery, a new brewery in Lompoc. And, and they played, and, and sometimes the owner afterwards says, you know, I would hear these songs, and I realized that some of these songs were hallelujah songs. <laughs> but they were pretty good. <laughs> like, all right, sounds good, right? And then one of the owners said to Tyler, he said, I don't know what it is about you guys, but when you guys do this, when you come in here, and it was basically our entire church there. It was the whole Lompoc campus. And, and it would pack the place out. And, and they were playing songs and people were enjoying themselves. And there, there was this aroma. It wasn't hops. <laughs> There were some hops. And there's the aroma of Christ, the Bible says. That the way you live, that people go, why does it smell like Jesus in here? (laughs) The The owner said, I don't know what it is about you people, but something's different when you guys come. It's a vibe that changes the whole place. No one got up and gave a gospel message but the aroma of Christ was put on display. People were seeing, they go, I don't know what it is about you people. See, there's a rhythm, there's a sound, there's a way of life that living for Jesus, that he becomes the famous one. 
Not presenting ourselves in a way, look at us, but look at him that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. No one being a special person, but we are the priesthood of believers. That together we gather as a priority. We gather to make sure we don't get out of tune and off rhythm. We gather together as the utmost importance that we won't be tossed to and fro, that our, our, our families will not get swept in the wave of doctrines of demons, friends. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's got your family's name on a list. But you get to say, no, no, no. We are found in the Lamb's book of life and he will not lose any that are his and we're going to join together we're going to we're going to bind ourselves together in love speaking the truth in love carrying one another's burdens uh, putting away falsehood speaking the truth with our neighbor anger and sinning not that's what the church is the church is a group of people that live a different life and continue to hold each other accountable to that life. Why? For the glory of God and the good of this valley, the good of this region and this coast. Somebody say amen to that. In this series, I, I want to talk about as I conclude today. I want to give you some some plans that we have. Some things we're thinking about. I'm going to tell you a little bit about why we're going to do what we do. But some of you got an email last night that said, hey, we got a special announcement. We're going to talk about uh, the vision going forward of Crossroads Church. And I, I, I've been praying and pondering about what's the next season for Crossroads. And um, one thing I, I try to do, and I, I had a guy say to me one time, he, uh, he's a pastor and he sent me a message when I was a, a youth pastor and he asked me to, to listen to a sermon that he gave and give him some pointers. And uh, man, this guy's a great man of God and he handles the scripture so well. And I, I just talked like about voice flexion and, pauses and he's a very monotone guy but it's like a high pit like just up all the time I said man create some space in that Do, like use every tip and trick of, of communication that you can and use it for the glory of God and, and so I, I sent him back kind of out of obligation I sent him a sermon I, I was a youth pastor in Visalia and I sent him one of my youth sermons and, and I sent it to him and, I, and a couple of days later I said hey so what do you got for me he said, uh, Sam, I got nothing. He's like, I, I could listen to you read Dr. Seuss. I'd just like to hear you talk, all right? <laughs> and then he said to me, but that great strength for you is going to be one of your greatest weaknesses. I said, what do you mean? He says, you're going to be tempted to lean into your gifts and your humor and your ability and your God-given gifts to communicate. And sometimes you're going to miss the mark and people in the lobby are still going to go, Pastor, that was really good this morning. 
And the question you're going to have to ask yourself every single time you preach is, was I faithful to the Bible and did I preach Jesus? Man, I've wrestled with that since that day. I said, man, God, I know you've given me a gift, but I, I don't want to just be good. I want to be helpful. I don't want just people to walk away and go, man, that was a good sermon this morning. I want to speak in such a way that I care for your souls and that I warn you about the tactics of the enemy. And I declare the good news that God has made a fortress for the righteous to run into. And good and helpful are not always the same thing. And sometimes it doesn't always mean that we do all the things that maybe conventional church wisdom should tell us to do. And so I've been thinking, man, this place has got to be more than just sermons. It's got to be about people. If you were to ask somebody who's far along in the faith and strong in their faith, and you say, what, what did it take for you to get to where you are today? They won't tell you a sermon. They'll tell you about someone. And here's the reality is you need someone in your life and someone needs you. And the best way that I can think to facilitate this is changing how we do things on uh, a practical level. And so one of those things that we're going to do is right now we have multiple services on Sunday morning. We have a 9 and a 1045. And some of that space. This, today you saw some of you uh, had a hard time getting a chair. We had to pull chairs out. Uh, there's only so much more room for chairs. And that's one of the reasons we have another service. Years ago, we, we had a lot of people driving from Lompoc. And for years, I just felt like God was going to uh, give us a campus in Lompoc and, and that we would reach Lompoc because we couldn't reach lost people or the friends of people. They had to already be committed church followers to drive the 20-minute drive to Buellton. So God gave us a campus. And we've had that campus for now over two years. And we launched Sunday mornings in the spring where right now, if you don't know, there are people watching uh, a screen. They're watching the sermon. The music is live and they got coffee and they got to hang out. And then when the highlights come on, they start watching a screen and they don't, can, they don't stop watching the screen through the sermon. And God, every time we've uh, updated our camera equipment, every time we have done it in a way that said someday we're going to have a video venue and that's going to allow us to reach more people for the glory of God. But in that, what we have is we have a, a congregation that's split three ways. Split between the 9 and the 1045 and the Lompoc campus. And so in an endeavor to bring community and an ability to, on a practical level, do things in a way that facilitates that. We can't manufacture relationship, but we can give it an opportunity. One of the reasons why when I first came, we used to serve coffee outside. I moved it right into the lobby. Because some of the most impactful things that can happen for you on a Sunday morning is while you're out there getting coffee until you hear the worst sound in Crossroads. <laughs> right? And so here's what we're going to do. At the Buellton campus, we are going to go to one service only on Sundays. That service time is going to change to 9.30. So this service will be now 9.30, give you more time to get in here and be here for the entire length of the service. I see some of you. 
So we're going to start at 930. The 1045, we're going to invite you to be a part of the 930 service. Now what that means is you already feel what it's like to be in here in a full morning and one service. We're going to add another 70 to 100 people in this particular service. Okay? All right? Creates excitement and problems, I promise you. And what that also does is allow us to create more areas of service and hospitality. We have so many kids volunteers where we have two, three different kids areas meeting every Sunday, twice a Sunday. So you have club kid, club baby, club house. You like that branding? I did that. You're welcome. And yet we have to try to facilitate all those two volunteers in each area twice a Sunday. In order to do that, now we wanted to do two services so volunteers could serve one and sit one, but it creates a problem with big families and a family dynamic. And so we thought, let's just have one. People can watch online, but what it will do is allow people not to have to serve as often because we're only having one service. Now, also what this will create is a space. And what we wanna try to do is at 9 a.m., we're gonna have pre-service prayer. And so in here, what we're going to do is we're going to create an atmosphere. The band's going to be done and people are going to begin to pray. We're going to call on you to come in and pray, to lead prayer. We have music playing and we want to create an atmosphere of worship so that you're not just thrown in. You can actually prepare your heart for when people get here at 930. And so if you want to get here for pre-service prayer at nine o'clock, this is going to happen at both campuses. Lompoc campus, got news for you. You are now moving from your 1045 to 9.30 with us. It will create some, um, some things for us to work out as we try to work on uh, the reliability of our stream. We'll have a small buffer in between our service and yours, uh, but you won't even notice that on how the service time goes. Uh, but it will allow us to be almost instantaneously from this campus to that. We're working on what that means for the online campus. Here's our heart. It's not about us being bigger and better. This is about us doing what is helpful and righteous and joining the body together in a way that after service, here's what we do, pre-service prayer, but then after. I'm not running around trying to say hi and bye too quick. I can pray with people and talk with people. We can linger on a Sunday morning. We'll have post-service prayer where people have needs and healing. We're not trying to, to shorten the service or, and the service will still be an hour and 15 minutes. We're gonna try, but it gives us space to be a community. Amen. The other thing is on the midweek, we're going to be, and this is all starting the first of the year. Next week, the services will stay the same, 9 and 1045. I know I'm going to miss some of the details. We'll put out an email to you. 9 and 1045 will continue on next week. There will be no service on Christmas Day. And January 1st, we'll go to one service at 930. Just the, the natural rhythm of the end of the year gives us a great pause before we make this big change. Then in the midweek, we've been doing for the last six months, ironwork. 
And I feel God put it on our heart that we call men together and put them in a rhythm of meeting every single week. For years, we did sermon-based small groups in homes. For this next season, and here's what we've always do around here, we're not changing anything, we're just trying stuff, amen? If it doesn't work, we'll try something else, all right? And so iron work is going to continue, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to add elements for every other age on the same campus at the same time. And so what that means, and we're working on the night, but it's looking like on Thursday nights, we are going to have men's groups, women's groups. We're going to have the hub and kids elements all at one time, a whole family environment every single week. We invite you. Listen, it won't, you won't have to negotiate. Well, the wife's going, the, the husband's going, or hey, I don't know really what's going on, or man, I don't have a place for my kids. All in one place. Now, here's what we're trying to do. We're getting ready to do a, an amazing courtyard remodel. That's what we're working on right now, where there's more spaces for us to meet outdoor playground update. Uh, we're trying right now to build a pavilion basically in the courtyard where we could have outdoor services here. We just are remodeling this uh, space over here to, uh, as you come into the parking lot uh, for uh, coffee and hangout. And it's going to be an incredible time. Well, basically, the idea is every single week, we're going to have a midweek party. We're going to have food. We're going to have relationship. It's going to be a place, and we don't want you to miss out. We want you to make it a priority. And this is the place where you get into rhythm. You stay in rhythm. You bind together in love. We're going to invite the entire Lompoc campus. Hey, we know it's going to be a drive, and we're going to work on it. We're going to work on carpooling lists. Uh, man, t- I, I've already tried to buy two shuttle vans that Pastor Tyler said no to. And... Uh, and we're, this is just the space in Buellton where we can host that many people. But here's what it's going to do. It's going to take the 9, the 1045, and the Lompoc campus, which we found at the Ironwork. When, when guys got in here and they met guys they'd never met before. Well, you go to the Lompoc campus? Oh, you go to 1045? You go to 9? We want everyone to experience what you're a part of. God is doing something big in this region. And we want everyone to be a part, feel connected. And meet someone and be someone. Because that's what it means to be the church. Amen? Hey, will you stand to your feet? Next week, service times are still the same. 9 and 10.45, 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Here's what Christmas Eve is. I know if you want to get here with your family, we're going to have more seats out, but get here early and get a spot. But here's what we're going to do, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's on Christmas Eve, we're going to pack this place out. We're going to deal with the woes of having too many people. That's a good problem to have, amen? Amen. We're going to end this way, not with a mantra, but with a mission. We're going to say this, let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this value. Will you say it with me? Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this value. We'll see you next week.